It is really fun when you get a guest that you can tell doesn't care. Right. Those um, are the best guests. Yeah. It's like, fuck it. I'll just say what I want to say. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's not, I mean, obviously more often than not, those are people who are so far down the line in their career that they kind of can't, they have such a big lead. They can't blow it. Are there certain guests you have on, on, I'm talking about on your show now yeah. that are just kill it every time. And you know, you can sit back and relax when they're on. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's certainly a, a type of guest that is, uh, you know, they, they have that attitude that is so much fun to watch and the audience knows and right and they relax it's like when don rickles used to come on the carson show you knew you were in for a good time yeah i mean that's like i mean it's so fun to have you know uh, somebody like martin short who just right. comes he and always kills it this guy kills. does he work that out ahead of he, time you know what that's the same thing he's like steve i mean i think they're very similar yeah which is they're so naturally funny and yet they work so hard at it and so and marty's got nothing uh but stuff ready you know what's a hard decision to make as a talk show host? I'm wondering if you ever really thought this through. So I'm watching an old clip of Brickles on Johnny Carson's show, and sitting on the couch is Buddy Hackett and uh, Burt Reynolds. And Burt Reynolds is wearing a ridiculous jumpsuit, yeah. and Ed McMahon is sitting there. And Rickles is just riffing, you know, and like telling Bert, yeah, but, you know, after I leave, you can model that suit for everybody. You know, he's just fucking with them the whole time. <laughs> and it's so great. And I sit there go, did you ever kind of consider, what, do you got a cold? A little. I'm no, getting over it. Don't get me sick. I won't, I promise. Uh, Seth, did you ever consider when you were coming up with the format for the show, did you ever say to yourself, shit, those moments are great? Like, I don't know. If I had a late night television talk show, maybe I'd want everyone out there on the couch together, all the guests. You know... I love those moments too when you watch old Carsons, but I think a lot of times we like, we see the ones that are memorable. Right. I always, the few times I've had people stay out, it's a little bit harder for me to navigate who, who I'm going to ask the question to. And then yes. the person at the end of the couch, I feel like you put them in a weird position because now it's, you know, they did their eight minutes. Now it's someone else's eight minutes. It's almost too much pressure for you because you want to keep everybody in the loop. Yes. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. I, yeah. I, you know what? Oddly enough, when you, I hate having like multiple guests on the couch. It's our favorite thing. But, but when you and Hader and Fred Armisen came in together, it's it was so one of my fun. favorite shows. We, I think we've done it twice and we always talk about it was the most fun we've ever had getting interviewed anywhere. I know it was, it was so natural. And I said, you know, maybe I should rethink that sometimes. It's really good when you have a group of guys who really get along. If they know each other and they're not, you know, because there's that thing of if we, if the three of us didn't know each other, I mean, right. the amount we cut each other off and interrupt and, you know, if we were just three actors with egos, we would never talk to each other again. But because we know each other and, and we're here together. So late night television is so tricky. Like I never liked Dick Cabot's show, uh -huh. you know, but now when I go back and watch these clips of him interviewing various people, it's fascinating. It's actually really good because he let people talk for a really long time. Well, that's the thing. If you think to yourself, oh, you know, like I, I'm like, I love George Harrison. Right. So, and you go look at old talk show appearances of George Harrison. Well, the ones that are, it's always Cavett. Yes. Is the one that you want to see. Or, or mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to think of other ones I, I recently, there's like, I think there's like a John and Yoko, which is fascinating. Well, Ben Stiller put out a clip of, he was just tweeting and he was talking about a clip where Dick Cavett was interviewing Richard Burton. Yeah. And Richard Burton was doing some weird shit on there, talking about his father and blowing up a coal mine and stuff. But that only would have happened at the Dick Cavett show. It's kind of, it's, it's a weird thing, right? Being on late night television and you got to deal with the ratings. Yeah. And if you want to have a real conversation a la Dick Cavett, it's hard to do, right? The well, ratings actually, yeah. I mean, you know, the other interesting thing is it's just, uh, you have more limited real estate. Right. Um, you know, the, the bigger question is, is it better to have 
you know, sometimes there's nights we have three guests. Like, should we have two guests? Should we have one guest and talk longer? The other thing is, you know, we live in an era now where really, uh, you know, Dick Cavett is you or people with podcasts. Like, that's... Right. They, they, it does exist still. It just doesn't exist on late night television. Does it frustrate you sometimes? Like, do you say, shit, I'd want to take a risk and maybe have someone on for an hour and then just have a long form conversation? E, you know, part of me uh, thinks that. And then, in, you know, the other part of me is maybe that you're still chasing something that exists probably in a better form. You know what I'm dying to ask you? And maybe this is something I shouldn't have heard or something. There was one conversation. We were at some, we were somewhere. Okay. And Jerry Seinfeld was there. And Jerry Seinfeld obviously loves you and is a big fan of yours. He's the best. Right? I mean, you guys have some sort of relationship. We're friendly, yeah. All right. So I'm at this, uh, I think it was Jerry's birthday <laughs> or it was somebody's birthday. Yep. I don't know what it was. And Jerry, and I like this conversation I overheard, it was between you two guys. And I felt like I was eavesdropping, but fuck it. And Jerry was saying to you very directly, that uh, the segment you do on your show, which is my favorite segment, after you do your monologue kind of sitting at the desk, then you do, uh, what do you call it? Clo a closer, closer look. Closer yeah. look. Jerry says to you, I think, he goes, it would be funnier. Do you remember this? I don't know. Okay. Keep going. Jerry goes, I think it would be funnier when you do a closer look if you turn to a different camera and we're like off camera and then turned. He, he wanted you to turn your head a certain way. And I'm listening to this and I go, now Jerry Seinfeld's a comedy genius and you ain't no slouch. You, you know, you were the fucking head writer at Saturday Night Live. Okay. You've been at this a really long time. So you two guys are pretty brilliant. And I, I said to myself, I wonder if you'll take Jerry's advice or you were resenting Jerry saying that you should turn your head to a different camera. I, I was, do you remember this conversation at I all? I do remember it a little bit, not the specific details. Right. But I will say one of my favorite things about talking to Jerry is that he will tell you what he thinks all the time. And it's so yes. rare. Yes, and it's 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 almost uh, throws me off sometimes. But it's wonderful because he's so consistent about it that right. you don't take offense. Yeah, I, now I was wondering if you would take offense because he was just saying, hey, I observed something that you could... He wasn't talking about the material. He wasn't talking about anything. He's saying it was a camera move yeah. that you could do that would get a laugh every time. I don't... I mean, obviously, I did not take the note. You didn't because I tuned in for like a week afterwards <laughs> to see if you would do it, and you did not. Yeah. I said, oh, he probably didn't agree. But I wasn't. Uh, yeah, I mean, I probably didn't agree, but I wasn't offended. I mean, first of all, to have Jerry Seinfeld talk to you about your comedy is an accomplishment in his own right. Right. Because that means he's, you know, he, the fact that he even watches. He watches. Yeah. He likes it. Um, but that's the great thing. I mean, that's why I love, you know, Comedians in Cars is so much fun is, Jerry just tells people all the time what he thinks they should be doing. Yeah, I know. And it's really, I mean, to have that level of confidence. I actually thought it was rather loving that he... Of course. ...took a moment and said, hey, I, I, he was basically saying, I came up with an idea for your show. Yeah. What do you think of this? But he was pretty direct. Yeah. Do, do people give you advice like that all the time? No, not at this point. You know, I haven't seen you since Trump got elected, oddly really? enough. Yeah, I think, I it's think been, we've seen each other. No, I don't think... Really? We, since, since that, and, you know, obviously the show is very Trump-oriented yes. when you do your thing. Because yeah. it's what people are talking about. It's all anybody talks about. Right. It's almost like no other news is happening. Well, he's the biggest news that's happening. He's yeah. the biggest news. So... I'm imagining, because I see it on my show, if I say anything slightly negative about Trump, slightly negative, yeah, a fans will call in and go, would you fucking stop talking about politics? Right. Would you cut this shit already? And I was talking, you know, someone today said, you only have liberal guests on, you're having Seth Meyers on. I go, I, so I named all the people I have on who are 
ardent Trump supporters, Kid Rock, you know, I, I said, I've had, I'm Bill O'Reilly. I've had, a, I named all these people, but yet everyone thinks in terms of either you're for Trump or against Trump. Now with you being like so forcefully, your comedy is brutal yeah. about Trump. He even calls you out about it. Yeah. Are you are you threatened at all? Do people get emotional with you? Do they do they start screaming at you if you go out to a restaurant? No, I mean let's be honest. I live in Manhattan, which right. is a liberal town. Yeah, right. um, but also you know I do feel like because we've been very uh, open about what our show is. Right. I think if you love Donald Trump, you've probably chosen to disengage with the show. Right. Um, I get that it would be harder for you. Is that a risky move to disengage? Like, do you say to yourself, I don't want to lose that percentage of the audience? I think, you know, and, and this has sort of been borne out and the network would obviously have told us if it was an issue. Like, I think that once we became a show that decided to engage with politics the way we do. Right. Um, any audience we lost, we made up for. Yeah, elsewhere. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Do you do you see an uptick in your ratings when you do? Because, I mean, Colbert has absolutely... I think you and Colbert are most identified with a very strong political viewpoint. Mm -hmm. uh, and Colbert has benefited in the ratings from that. Are you seeing that as well? Well, I mean, the thing that we see that is uh, really nice is, you know, we put a closer look online um, every day. And, uh, you know, by now it'll have a million views from last night. And so, Unbelievable. you know, and, and the other thing is when we started doing our show, I think the idea was, oh, the stuff you want to put on YouTube, that's the short stuff. That's the stuff that's, you know, really poppy. Uh, and you know, we're basically putting up 13 minutes a night and, right. and people are not only are they watching it, but they're watching it from start to finish. Is most of the writing, uh, between the monologue and closer look, is that, is that you doing most of the writing? We have a monologue team, uh, and then we have a head writer for a closer look. Who's this really brilliant writer named Sal Gentile. It must be an amazing day. I mean, the day has to start early. Well, today, the next three days will be crazy because we have. Basically, we can't write ahead of time. Like, there's going to be impeachment hearings all day today, all day tomorrow, all day Thursday. Yeah, so what do you do? We basically watch and write in real time. And I really want to, um, uh, we've got uh, these incredible researchers. Uh, uh, we've got this woman named Emily Aradis. And, What's and a researcher do? They're basically like, during, over the course of the day, they're like pulling the clips from the impeachment hearing. So if you see something, you basically go to them and you're like, hey, can we have that ready to go? But is it, is it the researcher's job to say, hey, I think there's something funny here. I might not know exactly what it is, but I better feed this to the guy. The longer we've doing a closer look, the better they've gotten at recognizing what could be helpful to us. What is the background of a researcher that's hired on your television show to go find clips of funny moments? Well, it's I mean, I think some of them learned on the job. You know, they it's basically like a production. You know, they maybe started at a lower level of production and found their way up to this. Yeah, uh, you, job. You, you can't go to college for that, right? No, you know, you can go to college for radio, television, film stuff, but certainly not looking for clips in the politics that might have funny payoffs. What yeah. a crazy job, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, so many people, I think, in, in comedy shows, uh, any kind of comedy show, you know, you learn the skills that are, you needed for the show you work on. Yeah, and, and, and I can't imagine the frenzy putting together a daily television show with a, a, a monologue that dense of political material yeah. and then the closer look segment. It must be like a fucking madhouse there. It is a madhouse. And, and, uh, and you know, do you, there's this guy, Wally Fairston. Do you know Wally? No. Wally's the cue card guy for SNL as well. Right. And, uh, he's on camera for us every now and then. But, you know, he's got this team of cue card writers because these, you know, basically, if you're writing a 13 minute sketch, it's basically 150 cue cards. And we still do it, you know, manually. Why don't you use a teleprompter? 
I, you know, I came from SNL, which is a cue card show. Right. And uh, I feel really confident in cue cards. I also, a teleprompter is just another big machine. But doesn't the guy distract you sitting there with the cards and fumbling around with the cards? Well, he's the best. No, I think, I but think I would be like, like, oh, it would annoy me. Oh, he's throwing the card. He's, and he's carrying on. He's making it about himself. No, he's so good. And he's, uh, he disappears. He also does this thing where if I uh, stumble, right. whereas a teleprompter keep going, uh, Wally sort of brilliantly brings the card, brings the previous card back. Like, he reads your mind. He's great. And we've been working together. I mean, he's probably held 95% of the words I've said on TV over the years. Good Lord. He's the best. What a career, too. Like, I wonder, that's a union job, right? Uh, I don't know the answer to that, but I know he started his own cue card company and he does. Jesus. He does, uh, Fallon and he does us and he does the, um, SNL. A cue card company. Yeah. It's true. They got to write it out. Yeah. It's like a whole thing, and you're changing jokes right up until the end. And, and everybody has to learn to write in Wally's handwriting, because of course you can't be, the cards can't be different. Is political humor a pain in the ass in that you have to do the setup, you have to make sure your audience knows what you're talking about, so you have to do a lot of almost newscasting, right? Yeah, I mean, we like it, because we made the decision to like, okay, we're going to not just tell jokes about it, we're also going to try to give you a little bit of information, so mm. it becomes just a different way of writing. You know, it's fun to I mean, at the end of every sentence, we get to tell a joke. So, how how are you dividing up your time? Because when I was watching the stand-up special, which mm -hmm. I loved, uh, I haven't finished it yet, but and I got a lot of questions about that stand-up special. But what do you do? You're a guy who's got to come up with material for your daily show. Yeah. Then you're also a stand-up comedian. Yeah. So you got to come up with material for stand-up, and how do you divide that all up? And I, and also, how the fuck are you having a personal life? Honest to God, yeah. I want the truth, because there's no way something's got to be suffering here. You, you're you're really you're racking your brain every minute for something funny. The stand-up special, which is sort of a culmination of of basically, I would say, almost a decade of work on an hour that's very much about my personal life and about my, you know, uh, Alexi and our boys, and so. The sense was, okay, I think this is the year to do this special because it's about this moment in my life personally. But to prepare a stand-up special, don't you almost have to, like I've talked to Jerry about this. Yeah. He goes out every night still, every night and practices this <laughs> material, rehearses it, tries out new stuff. Where are you finding, did you go out every night? No, I did not go out every way. I basically, the first half of last, of this year, uh, I went out, I would say maybe 10 weekends uh, the first half of the year and, and tried to do this, do the hour in the kind of theaters that I would film it in. So when you wrote the this special, yeah, in 10 weekends, you go out and try it, and then you feel confident enough to tape it for Netflix? I had like part, and pretty much the most of the hour existed before those 10 weekends, and then it was about just shaping it. So that I used those 10 weekends to like get do, it down to the hour I wanted. Do you ever, when you, when you look back at that special that you have on Netflix, do you get self-critical? Do you sit there and say, you know what, fuck. If I had the time to go out every night of the week, like Jerry does, and really hone my stand-up, I would have come up with a lot more material. I could have been way better at the performance. It would drive me insane. I feel good about how the special turned out. As I'm sure that if I'd put more time into it, it would have, like, with anything, it would have been better. But with that said, I have no regrets about uh, how I balanced uh, the show, the special, and my family. Do you think you're in your prime? Like, I mean, they talk about painters being in their prime. You know, they talk about musicians yeah. being in their prime when they come up with their best material. Because you're exercising that comedy muscle every single day, you have to put on a daily show. 
Then you're writing a stand-up special. Then you're writing that documentary now uh, thing. Yeah. Do you think you're, I mean, you're producing a tremendous amount of comedy. Yeah. Is it is it making you insane in your personal life? And also, do you think you're in some sort of prime? Like, this is your Michelangelo moment. I feel like maybe uh, just because, like, I think maybe being a little bit younger, like, at SNL when I was really clicking, I, I think there was a, an era where I was really writing great sketches. And uh, What's your best sketch that you ever wrote that uh, you are most proud of? I wrote the... Uh, the Amy and uh, uh, Tina, Hillary and uh, Palin sketch. Oh, that good. Felt good about yeah, that, that was good. Yeah. A lot of help. You know, nothing gets written alone at SNL. But right. um, I, uh, and it, when I went back, you know, I went back and hosted about a year ago. Yes. And um, I I, realized, I tried to write a sketch for myself and there was just no fastball. Really? Like that sketch muscle, I think, is the hardest muscle in the world. And it is a muscle. I think it really is. Like, in other words, if you don't write sketches for a while, you kind of lose it. I th I mean I I just sat down and was I had this realization because again I thought oh I'm great at sketches so I'll just go back and write a few and I just sat down and was like oh and you had God. nothing no and and then you kind of look around at that current writing staff and you realize how much in better shape they are than you yeah it's weird yeah. it's like working out it is I I don't think people really fully understand that sketches too man sketches are I mean good sketches are so tightly written and they have a uh, there's such a science to them and uh so hard yeah it's really hard yeah i i just wonder how you balance it all in your head and say gee am i spread too thin like uh, you know there's so many things you could be doing i don't think you're the type of guy who lives in fear like if your talk show ended tomorrow i don't think you'd be in a panic at all because you can write i think that it's nice to have writing as a skill as a as a fallback for things right and i and i um I was going to say I like writing. I don't like, I don't think any writers like writing. I love when I'm done having written something I'm proud of. Did you resent guys when you were a head writer at Saturday Night Live that like didn't write? Would you sit there and go, you know, I'm a lazy fuck. Why doesn't he write something and, and get off his ass if he wants to be on TV and really sort of hone their chops? Yes. You did. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. Well, there was that thing about it. SNL is like, this look, is your shot. It's yeah. It's like, because the great thing about SNL is. Uh, uh, certainly the, the years I was there on Wednesday, look, you get a shot. You get a trip Try to it. the plate. Right. You know, were there certain people who would pitch and bomb every single fucking time? But not people that were there for a long time. But there would were you people. secretly talk about them and go, Jesus Christ, this guy, how, what kind of comedian is he? No, that would be, I wouldn't talk about, I would have more empathy for people like, wow, they are ice cold. And uh, you feel bad for people. But you have said early on when you got the job at Saturday Night Live, you would sort of compare yourself to everyone. Oh, yeah. And you feel guilty about that. You feel bad about I it. I feel guilty about uh, having jealousy for people that I now you know, love and are friends. But the jealousy is there because you're like, oh, shit. Why are they getting Why are they on camera all the time? Why yeah. are they getting their sketches on Because it the is. Time? It's, you know, it's finite real estate. You yeah. know, anytime... I mean, that's the that's the hardest part about the show is, you know, when getting on I mean, when some people succeed, that means, you know, ultimately other people are failing. That's right. So and, you're, and in some cases you were happy they were failing and you were succeeding. It's more that you were happy you were succeeding and you put no thought into the fact they were failing. Right. Yeah. But uh, I would imagine that you felt better once you got the anchor job on Saturday Night Live because you got a guaranteed 10 minutes every, every week. It was the best thing in the world. I mean, it's amazing how... Um, you know, if somebody guarantees you 10 minutes, all of a sudden you find a way to be magnanimous about everything else. Like all of a sudden you turn into a really nice person. <laughs> yeah, right. That things are going well. And for you, you and you say to everybody else, don't be jealous. But why don't those guys ever partake in these sketches? Why is Colin Jost and Michael Che not really in the sketch? I know they must write some of these sketches. But yeah. 
Well, they they just had a different path. I mean, by the time I was on Update, I wasn't doing sketches either. What do you make now? When you were there, this wasn't happening. But what do you make of these guys now? We're all dating, like like um, uh, Colin Joseph was Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. And you got Pete Davidson. He's dating with now Kaya, Kaya Gerber now. Yeah. He's with. I mean, I mean wh- why were you not dating more? In- I certainly, looking back, uh, that is a question I ask myself. O- although, having said that, I am fascinated by I your know, wife. She you, really appreciates your fascination. I have obsession with your wife. Yeah. Because she's model hot. She is. Let's be honest. She's look up, gorgeous. Look, go on Google and look up yep. uh, Seth's wife. Alexi Ash. Yes, yes. I mean, she's model hot. Mm-hmm. And yet, she's a prosecuting attorney. Yeah. This is some turn on. Yes, former prosecutor. The best thing is when she left the Brooklyn DA's office, they gave her her badge in a frame. Yes. Like, and, and, uh, and I asked if I could have it in my office. Because it's a real turn on. Of course. And my wife's badge in my office. I mean, she's locking up sex offenders. Yeah. Like she actually goes into court. Yeah. At trials. I went, I went a few times and sat in court. Uh, and I should say the Brooklyn court that I would see her in is not, uh, you know how like when you watch Law and Order, they seem very fancy and yeah. just the brownest room you've ever seen. It's like going to a cafeteria. Everything is peeling. The wallpaper's peeling. The carpet's peeling. <laughs> it's not no- as sexy nothing. TV. Um, but it was really, I mean, again, my wife is, um, is this really resolute woman who believes what she believes and she's, uh, she really cares about people and, and taking care of them. And it's really cool to watch. Yeah. She's the opposite of me. Yeah. I mean, no, but she really is something. Yeah. And my and, dad said the only way Myers was going to end up on a badge was if you married. <laughs> yeah. How do you uh, meet a woman like this? I remember if I told you this. I met her at Chris Catan's wedding. Did I tell you? No, that? I don't think you ever yeah. told me how you met her. Her older sister. Chris Catan is married? Not anymore. Okay. He didn't stay. He, I think he only stayed married for um, six weeks. There's a guy. We, I, think, I think I've talked to you about He's six weeks. Yeah, it was really. It was isn't short. that rock and roll? I mean, isn't yeah. that fantastic? And I well, will say. Some guys on Saturday Night Live yeah. are rock and roll. Yeah. You know but what wait I mean? a minute. That's like he only got married so you could meet your wife. That's what he <laughs> says. Yeah. He says all the time. We are the legacy of that weekend how does a guy get married for six weeks i mean even like you know give it three months it struck me that it was maybe one of those hail mary weddings that you right. do to save you know it wasn't like they just met it was right. like we're it's never a good call if your choices are we're either going to get married or break up if it's that break up isn't that a guy that really was so, i mean he made me laugh so hard on saturday night live and now you, you don't even see it's a, it's a shame where does that all that talent go what happened with this i mean guy? he's still really talented but i do i'm glad you said that because i think people forget that there was an, a period from, you know, like ni- late 90s. Yes. Chris Kattan was a killing it. fucking superstar. Right. Monkey boy. Yeah. I mean, he a was physical comedy. Farley-esque in the way that he could come out. Oh, and when do he things. would do the dancing segment, you know, yeah. where they go to the club to pick up girls. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's physical comedy at its best. He was, uh, yeah, he was unparalleled. And yeah. I think that. There's a couple of people that I don't quite feel like get their due from that time. Uh, and Sherry O'Terry is the other one. Sherry O'Terry was amazing. And I think people, I don't know why there's this weird blind spot to what they were doing. Cause that was a, you know, mid nineties SNL had this really bumpy, uh, time. And then. Well, that's only because the critics, I think. Yeah. Gave it a hard time. I, I don't, was it ratings wise too? I don't know. Actually, again, again, I'm in college at the time, but then right. I remember there was all of a sudden these new people and, you know, obviously Will Ferrell gets uh, all the credit in the world as he deserves. Right. And, right. uh, and Molly, I feel like is, is properly remembered as being great. Molly, uh, Shannon. Shannon. Well, yeah, that when she would throw her body physically across the room into yeah. a group of chairs. I'm, first of all, I'm surprised she doesn't have like major issues with her body in terms of pain. 
It was, a, I mean, that is really, I think, a gold standard. When we talk about like physical comedy, and it was also like really well written. I don't want to just say that it was, but uh, when you look at what Will and Molly and, and Sherry and, and Chris were doing, I mean, that was it was a, a good group. It was really a fun, fun show. Yeah, isn't it weird how how um, those like some people who are so talented leave Saturday Night Live and nothing happens. Like there's just nowhere for them to go to channel that kind of funny. It is there is a thing that I. You know, I think the hardest skill in the world is to have the skill where you succeed at SNL because you need so many different things. Right. And and sometimes they're, yeah, that's almost like your talent is too big to fit anywhere. I'm curious as hell to see what Eddie Murphy does when he goes and guest hosts. I know, I can't wait. I cannot wait. I That's most, I mean, is there, can you remember a time you've been that excited for someone to host? No, I don't think so. I can't think of anyone... Uh, maybe I mean, maybe every time they say like Steve Martin will do it, or, right? But you know that hasn't happened in a while. Jim Carrey, I think about like seven or eight years ago, came back and hosted, and that was, I mean, for us, that was such a big deal because again, he, I think, like he, Eddie, yeah, he was this uh, uh, sketch actor that we all kind of grew up on. But Eddie's going to be amazing. Well, how crazy is it that Jim Carrey auditioned for Saturday Night Live and didn't get in? Didn't get in. I mean, how the fuck did that happen? I mean, there's a guy. How could he have a bad audition? Although, I went back just like I think last night I was watching. Jim Carrey's first appearance on Letterman and Jim Carrey's first appearance on Letterman was when he had that Canadian like kind of a um, sitcom or something. It was really unknown. It was, oh, it, wow. It was, yeah. And you watch it and he's so funny. And yet the audience, you could see they're, they're not exactly with him. Right. You know, I guess people didn't get him. Yeah. There are some people like Jim Carrey where there's nothing. He was like nothing that came before. So in order for people to know he was funny, he had to like teach them that first. I wonder if Lorne kicks himself in the head that he didn't sign like, the ones that get away. I think Lorne also likes that that's part of the like mystique of SNL is that sometimes they got it wrong. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that. Uh, uh, I, I think uh, I just looked. Somebody found the sheet of when I auditioned. I think Kevin Hart auditioned the year I auditioned. Oh, really? Isn't that crazy? And he didn't get it. It was Kevin Hart. What did you do for your, you know, I didn't even realize how good you were at stand-up, because when I watched the Netflix special, I'm like, oh, wow, you're really accomplished at this. I didn't even realize that that was your thing. I didn't come up doing stand-up. I came up as an improviser, and I actually only started doing stand-up after SNL. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. You were probably under a lot of scrutiny then, because here you were famous from SNL. People, yeah. You know, people knew you. And now you're going to go first try to be a stand-up comic. You must have been shitting in your pants. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know when you first start doing it, it unless the very rare few who have just good experiences. Right. It had to be horrible. Yeah. I mean, I dabbled around with it a little bit. And, you know, I one of the things that was in, I kind of found my feet doing stand up uh, when I first started SNL. I get booked at colleges a lot. Yeah. That's a little bit of a softer landing. Right. You know, and so it was very helpful because it still counts. You know, it's still you learn the reps and the rhythms and whatnot, but you don't... When you first started doing it and you'd go to a college to kind of work something out, would it tank? I wouldn't tank. I tried, you know, but it was... The interesting thing was you... You you know, when, when I was 27 when I first started at SNL, Jeez. when you're 27, you kind of still feel like you're in college. Right. And then pretty quickly, you know, then you're 32 and you realize, oh, I have very little in common with these guys right. anymore. And so... Right. That's when you sort of have to realize, like, okay, now I got to turn into a stand-up stand-up that right. I can do it for for all ages. Yeah, I like the special, too, because you really do have a, a facility for bringing people into your personal life. And you're right. You hit it right, right off the top. You say, it's probably very weird for you to see me not sitting behind a desk. Yeah. And and what did you say? My legs are as useless as, like, a Muppet? They're, yeah. And seeing me standing is like watching Kermit ride a bike. <laughs> yeah.
Well, stuff. you once told me, I remember when I, because I started my show doing a standing monologue when I started late now. Right. And you were very complimentary when I moved behind the desk. You I were one of the people, it. yeah. I think that's where you're most comfortable. Yeah. And who um, who wrote the rules that you have to stand up and do a monologue? It was it? such a, it was the best thing ever to sit down. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and it became that comfort zone for you. And all of a sudden, everything was just coming together on that show. It was it's, really nice. Yeah. It's really, it's really And you amazing. just got to start right away. It's really nice that, uh, pretty much my show, I'm immediately telling jokes, which I really like. That whole chunk of material you do in the Netflix special about, you know, your wife and, and the fact that, like, you're having babies and like, yeah. she, she, for some reason, you guys never end up in a hospital. No, she had a baby in the lobby of our building. Yeah. I mean, that is unbelievable. I love, I love when you talk about how, like, now the doorman in your building you can't even look at them yeah well then they can't look at her <laughs> yeah right all things awkward like one of the doormen saw her vagina <laughs> everyone saw it <laughs> i mean everyone and that feeling you describe in the special of being useless in the oh. birth of your child i mean the doorman was more useful yeah i mean well because yeah. people you know everybody it was and it was really this nice collective moment that's a sort of uniquely new york or any building where a lot of people are living but, but why like, can't this woman get to the i mean here's an accomplished woman yeah uh she's certainly uh you know smart intelligent. smart intelligent yeah. why is it that the timing is so off with these babies that you guys have i think she's now she believes that she has a, a condition that, you know and that she feels as though she should have someone should have told her after the first one like hey but the first one she was in a in an uber almost gave right? it yeah, almost gave birth uber. in an uber and made it with about 20 minutes to spare but this one was i mean you know I, I just remember the labor on all three of my my girls were like it was this long drawn out thing in the hospital walking up and down the the, the hallways yeah. it was just this fucking process like when is this kid coming already the water broke six days ago right your wife's like boom well i mean this the, of course the secret is that ultimately given a choice she'd rather have it quickly in the lobby right then 30 hours in a hospital I, you're right you know? get it out right <laughs> let's go i mean thank god it was our second one for me because but who like you describe your wife in the special as like 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 she basically yeah she just like, how do you put it you say she she lion kinged her baby she, yeah like yeah. it was like lion king she yeah. held up she the she baby oh, yeah <laughs> it was like crazy and 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 that but but i i'm really into the logistics of this thing in other words you're standing there yeah you don't know what to do you're just yeah. like oh honey this is beautiful yeah i can see the head coming up and the doorman, you're like a play-by-play -play yeah right right yeah <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing and then and then like so no one is pulling the baby out, right? Well, we had a uh, we had a doula with us. Oh, she, oh. So she was just sort of calming Alexi down. But you know, it is, um, and and what I mean by like, thank God, it was the second. When I watched the first one get born in a hospital, right? When you watch it, you think to yourself, "This is something has gone terribly wrong," right? <laughs> Even though that's how it always looks, right? And you only know it's normal because the doctors aren't freaking out. That's right. But so the second one, again, it looked as bad as the first one. Like it's not nothing about it looks. Uh, like it should be happening. And and who cleans up? Like, did the doorman have to clean up the placenta and all that? Like, don't you have to? This is you want to know what an alpha my wife is. This yeah, is a let, true let, story. Let me hear this. So my we on the way to the hospital because you still then have to get in the ambulance. So now the baby's born. Uh, you know we had a, a fireman cut the umbilical cord. Really, <laughs> a fireman cut the umbilical. cord. He knew how to do that. Yeah, he had. A, or was he winging it? Yeah, he knew. What, he he have seemed, a pocket knife. What? Full <laughs> axe. He did a full oh, yeah, fire that's axe. Nice. Yeah. yeah. He just said stand her back. <laughs> Crazy. Um, but then we get and my wife uh says to me, hey, write the head of the co-op board and say we'll pay for a new carpet. Oh, Beca wow. But not because she felt bad. 
because she wanted to pick the carpet. Right. <laughs> she thought like, oh, this way I'll it'll give me a chance to put my own personal touch. That's smart. Yeah. She really is an alpha. She like, like the fact that on the way to the hospital, she would think like, oh, I'm gonna I have a way to uh, get this to pay off for me. Your wife's so competent. You must feel so cared for. Like she must really yeah. take care of you, right? She does. I mean, when you have kids, you realize like she's really good at taking care of them, and then you just try to stand close enough. Is she still working? She's still working. So yeah. she's juggling all that. You're juggling yeah. the shows and the stand-up specials yeah. and all this. Mm-hmm. I mean, who has time for kids to raise them? We still who yeah, is we, raising those kids. I mean, we, how many? How much help do you have? <laughs> we have a one incredible nanny. Genuinely, the, the most nanny wonderful. must hate you. But these two are never home. <laughs> her name is Andy, and she's uh, you the, must pay her the, a fortune. We do. She probably makes more than your cue card guy. I bet she does. Yeah, I bet she does. Well, he has a couple other jobs. So yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But uh, wow. Yeah. I mean, what what is going on? It is such a juggling act over over at the Myers house. But it's good. You know, I we have a good morning with kids. Like I, I get out the door. Uh, you know, I drop my kid, uh, my oldest, my three-year-old off at school every day. and so I Three years to, old in school already. This kid must be nursery school. They have school. to be. Yeah. 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 Really? Where else are they going to do? Um, <laughs> where else would these kids go? And so I don't, you know, I, and the, the downside is, you know, by the time I get home from work, they're asleep. But I see them every morning for a couple hours walking to school. Listen, I, I have to tell my kids that all the time. I mean, they're older now, my girls. Mm-hmm. But it's like I said, listen, you know, like, Dad, where were you? Like, I was working. Yeah. You know, that's it. It's, it's terrible. But you, someone's got to do this. But well, now, they're not having a, a, um, activities yet. So, right. yeah, you're going to have to make sure you get to the dance recital and the all that stuff. I went back. When I hosted SNL, I went up to the... There were like three or four people who had kids when I was at SNL. Right. And I said, I never said this to your face, but I always resented you for like leaving work to go to a school play. And right. I want you to know that now that I have kids, I realize I was being the asshole. Right. And even though I never said it to your face, I want you to know that internally I owe you an apology for <laughs> people who don't have kids do not know that pressure. Yeah. Like you've got to drop everything occasionally and, and get over there. Cause That's otherwise, it. you know, the, cause the reality is like when your kid's 50 and he doesn't want to come visit you cause you were a shitty dad who didn't go <laughs> to the thing. No one, it's not like Lauren's going to call you up and be like, Hey, thanks for being there on the monologue. Right. Yeah. Are you, are you thinking of having a third child? We're talking about it. What are you? You're, you're, I think two's enough for you. You I'm think? really, I'm really, I you really want to, yes, I do. What are your, what are the gaps between them? Oh, well, well that's funny. Um, um, the, my, my first two yeah. are three years apart. Yeah. And then the, the other one is so much younger. My, my, uh, she's only like now 26. So she has like eight or 10 years. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. There's this big spread between gotcha. in their ages. Yeah. So, you know, we, we waited a long time on the third. Alexi uh, comes from three. I come from two. I always thought I'd be good at two. But now we have that thing, which is our, our one and a half year old. That's such a fun age. And you realize if you don't have another one, that's the last one and a half year old. But do you wor- seriously worry about the world we live in? I mean, uh, even when I was having kids, everyone said, oh, the, yeah. how can you bring up kids in this world? But it, things do seem dire, right? I'm talking about with the environment, uh, yeah. all the crazy climate uh, issues. Yeah. Uh, plastic in the oceans. Yep. Do you ever worry that like, you know, and, and there's 7 billion people on the planet. Uh-huh. Do you ever do the socially conscious thing and say, okay, we're having to because we just got to, who knows what this world is that we're bringing them into. That's a very good argument that we have not uh, considered. Really? I mean, I, you know, I think that I ultimately what this world um, needs is like people, good people who are loved by their parents. Yes. That's the truth. So if you can have more of those, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. How do you know how to be a good parent? I think my parents were really good parents. They were really good. Yeah. 
And my um, my uh, Alexi's parents are amazing too. So we're really lucky. We have our grandparents are really big parts of our kids' lives. Nice. Yeah. It all sounds good to me. I think it's pretty good. I'm sure there's shit you're not telling us that is going <laughs> wrong because yeah. there's a lot of pressure in all of this. I'll tell you that. I but one thing I have to say too, you have to see Seth Meyers' stand-up special, Lobby Baby. Which uh, you can see why the title is Lobby yeah. Baby is now available exclusively on Netflix. Yeah, but you also have but, to ask, where's this third one going to be born? Yeah, <laughs> I, probably in our studio. But, oh, that'd uh, be great. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, um, I, w- I was thinking you did the best job in your special of of doing that. I never understood what mansplaining was. I know that sounds oh, yeah, kind of yeah, lame. Yeah. Right. But you gave a good definition in this special. That's yeah. the material you do on mansplaining. And, you know, you talk about, you know, your wife uh, when you were getting married. Your wife um, said, oh, my God, I'm sick to my stomach. I have food poisoning. And you sat her down and said, listen, you don't have food poisoning. You're just nervous. Yeah. About that. That's the definition of mansplaining. You're yeah. just nervous about getting married. Yeah. Sure enough, uh, as you uh, say in the special, uh, she you were like, where are you? And she goes, I'm in the hospital. You fuck. I've got, <laughs> I've got food poisoning. Yeah. I don't have, I don't need your explanation about my nerves. No, it's just, there's this, uh, this that's very, what men do. And especially men tell women like, look, you think it's bad. It's fine <laughs> all the time. And we just don't know. Get it. That's a- no woman wants to be told by a man. Like, Hey, this experience you're having that I have no perspective on you're overreacting to. Did you go to Netflix and say, look, okay, I'm going to do a 10 minute bit on Trump, you know, on, on politics yeah. and what's going on politically. And it's kind of, it's a very great idea. Like, Hey, in the special, if you don't want to hear any politics, you can skip. Yeah. I think that's great. Yeah. But I would imagine you have to go to Netflix and say, can we accomplish something? Like yes. This? That was much. an idea you had. I did. I was, you know, in general, I was trying to decide, you know, I think it's tricky to do any Trump material in a special that's going to come out four months after you do it. Right. Right. So that's the first trick. So it was trying to pick stuff about politics and it's a lot less about Trump and a lot more about my history with Trump. Right. Right. So it's the personal connection. But uh, it was only because I was doing a Netflix special that I realized, oh, they have that skip intro button. Yeah, skip the intro. So I thought, oh, it'll be so easy. If they have skip intro, just make it skip politics and it'll jump ahead. What a great idea. So much harder than I thought it would be. Why? I don't quite know, except they told me they needed basically three technical engineers to work around the clock for a month to figure it out when you make a deal with netflix for a comedy special yeah you know we read chris rock got 40 million yeah. eddie murphy gets 70 million monique now is suing netflix mm-hmm. have you heard about this i have yeah and i find that you know listen i'm all for talent getting as much money as they can get yeah i'm a guy who performs and i want to get as much money as i can get so i'm that, that that's my team but i don't understand monique's argument she's saying they offered me a half a million dollars for the comedy special and this is racist and discriminatory, but she can go anywhere and offer her wares. This is what Netflix thinks she's worth. It, does she have a case here? I don't, uh, I do not know the legal, uh, basis, what's, but what's I will say this. Yeah. I, my only feeling is this. I, um, one time did a show, I want to say in Tennessee, where Monique was the headliner. Right. And based on how hard she killed, Right. She deserves $100 million. <laughs> She's a great comedian. I mean, unbelievable, yeah. But, you know, is Monique at the level yet of Chris Rock or Eddie Murphy or Jerry Seinfeld? And and she's got a, you know, in a way, in stand-up comedy, I, I think it's the least discriminatory because you can do what Louis C.K. did. And 
you can even put your own comedy special <laughs> up on the internet and have people pay directly for it. Yeah. You don't have to go to Netflix. I mean, I think the exciting thing and the good news is, uh, you know, Amazon just got into the game. I think, right. You know, they did the Gaffigan special. I think that's good for comedians and yes. certainly good for people who don't feel like they're being offered the right amount of money places. The Man. more, the merrier. Did you look at that when you made the deal with Netflix? Did you sit there and look at, uh, oh, geez, like, I want to get the killing that these guys get? I didn't, nor did I have any expectations for it. You know, for me, it was, and it was really nice because, uh, uh, Robbie Pra, who runs comedy at Netflix, he had seen me a few years ago do stand up at, uh, Just for Laughs in Montreal, and, and he approached me, and I don't think I would have thought about doing a special if he hadn't. So right. I only ever considered, uh, doing it there, and I was very aware that, you know, it was my first special, people didn't know me, and so, I, and, you know, again, Netflix is doing me a service, too, of getting me out to everybody. I like the clothing you chose. Thank you. Now, now the reason I say this is, I think some stand-up specials, they, they, they last in time if they're particularly good, and then you look at the clothing, and, yeah. and I'm guilty of this, you should see my old radio shows, I mean, yeah. it is unbelievable. Well, the, you were doing radio, you can't blame yourself. <laughs> but you I, it know. was on TV, it was yeah, on yeah. the E-Network, right, right, right. I should have thought that through. <laughs> but it, you chose a very, you know, jeans and a, yeah. a nice shirt, nothing too trendy, Yeah. Uh, no Eddie Murphy all leather, No. Nope. nothing like that. Yeah. You just, we, do you put a lot of thought into that? I I try very, I didn't want anybody to ever think about the clothes. You know what I mean? It <laughs> yeah, was just, right. So it is a, it is a conscious yes, thing. Yes, it was, let's just try to, you know, and again, I, I you know, when we talk about, you know, uh, Catans and Farley's and physical performers, like, that's not me. Like, I'm genuinely just, always just going to be the jokes. Right. So it was like, just try to strip it down as much as possible. And, uh. And my friend Neil Brennan, who's a great stand-up, he directed the special, and 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 we talked a lot about we we didn't want it to be flashy in, in right. any way. And do you ask your wife, do you approve of this outfit? Oh, I for sure. It yeah. was you know because once it was jeans, we talk a lot. Alexia has a lot of thought about my jeans and how they look. Right, right. And so, uh, do you ever make the mistake of going to your wife and saying, um, "Hey, what do you think of my jokes? Uh, you know, I'm going to put this in a stand-up and this and that." Do you run stuff by her, or do you say, "Hey, listen, she's not a comedian." No, I I do uh, run it by her, and I'm I'm very excited for you to see the end of the special is something I'm very proud about because the last ten minutes of the show I do stand up about myself from Alexi's perspective, which is <laughs> good. all came from conversations we'd have because she would see the show and obviously she appreciates what you are trying to do on stage. And I talk about her a lot on stage and, and she was very uh, complimentary, but she'd also say, you know, to be fair, mm -hmm. the reason I did that thing you joke about is because you had done this. And so right. uh, it, it was, so you play her. I play commenting her. on your act. Yeah. It's I, it, it seems very fitting because, again, this is a special about uh, the, the incredible things that she has done more than things I've done right. to give her the last word. Well, you know, I got to tell you something. Um, uh, I know you don't like to admit this, but you got $40 million from Netflix for this special. So million. everyone is very excited. And that's after taxes. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what it is with Netflix? You hear about these deals every minute. You figure, well, I'm going to go in there and get my $100 million. The only downside my is it's... Yeah, my, oh, yeah, this is great. It is... Uh, the, uh, the downside, of course, is like everybody... When you get a Netflix special, people, you know, everybody wants a loan now. Because they yeah, right. think yeah, they you assume, got that. Right? Yeah. You hear from all your relatives. You know, I was wondering, does your building that you live in, does it have a security camera? Yeah. In the lobby? Yeah. 
Couldn't you have gotten the footage? Of my mother-in-law birth? got it. The, the footage of she your baby. She went down being... the next day, and she—it's not. Uh, uh, she wasn't quite uh, uh, turned the right way for right. the full. But you do see—you <laughs> see the sort of melee, and she—they uh, wouldn't, wouldn't give her the tape, but she filmed. Uh, they replayed, it and she filmed it on her phone. Wouldn't it have been great though to put that in the special, like as like maybe the opening? Yeah, it would have been. I mean, it closes. The closing shot is. Uh, is the shot from it is yeah oh, it's, it's her and i and a fireman well seth myers you are doing it you're lighting the world on fire <laughs> i don't know how you're doing it i honestly I'm gonna take a long break now are you from stand-up yeah oh from stand-up yeah well you know what jerry says you take yeah. a long break i know you're gonna lose it yeah that's true that's when i agree with jerry What's your process? You write in a book every day, like a little, uh, you have a notepad or something? Yeah, with stuff, you know, I think the things happen, we realize they don't fit in the show, they don't, they don't belong to late night. And then, and then you, you keep track of them in this journal? Yeah. Have do you, to, do you write it out specifically the language or is it just, you ideas? know, I really should, all these years, I still will write like a, a fragment and I'll think I'll remember exactly what that means. And then you go back and look and you have no idea. So I should really write out everywhere. Jerry says. Yeah. Hey, to quote him again. Yeah. You got to write it all out. Every word is important. He, well, I will. I take uh, great guidance from the fact, and I think anybody who sort of grew up watching Jerry, yeah, you realize the importance of language and, and how much a one word will make a huge look, difference. You have a different process. That's it. You tell <laughs> next time Jerry starts in with you, you tell him I have a different process, Jerry. Back off. Well, I might say to him, I'm going to say, Jerry, have you ever thought about doing it this way? Yeah. Maybe yeah. Uh, try it my way. I've now. been watching you, Jerry, and I have an idea. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I like it. All right. Listen, Seth Myers, you've done it again. Thanks. You come in here and charm everyone. Will you have uh, Will you have Bill, Fred, and I back when we do another season? Absolutely. Now? Anytime you three guys want to come in okay. and just sit here and talk. Right. I had so much fun with that. It's the best thing we've ever done. And the uh, yeah, and the audience went with the feedback was so incredible. They were like, "Oh, those three guys together were really funny." There was a bit about Lauren's high school friend that we still do that came up here. <laughs> yeah. What's yeah. that again? It was for being like Lauren. Lana, I want to meet Paul McCartney. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was so great. Yeah. Oh man, you uh, you know what else you hosted uh, that I haven't seen you? Uh, this, the Golden Globes. Right? Yeah, how was that gig? It was good. I mean, it was the uh, it was the it was the first Golden Globes after you know Harvey Weinstein oh, after the Me Too movement yeah, yeah. started. So that was it was it's uh, it was challenging in, in that way, but it was it, it is of all the shows, it's the most fun to host. Genuinely, it was hard because. All of a sudden, maybe you had to re-examine every joke you were going to make and make sure it wasn't... Uh... We knew when we said yes. It was We said yes after Harvey, so we knew what we were getting into. Right. So, so we, they, they don't pay a lot of money for that, right? It's a prestigious They thing. pay more than most award shows. Oh, they do? They do. No kidding. Because it's that Hollywood Foreign Press, and they got uh, they got deep pockets. Yeah, because when I talked to Jimmy Kimmel about the... Um, the Oscars, nothing. The Oscars, he got like 15 grand or something. I lost and... money on the Emmys, for real. Really? Yeah. Well, how do they get away with all this? With you guys, it, well, you know, it's. Uh, Are you guys desperate for the for the uh, attention of hosting the Emmys? No, it's more. You know, it's because each network gets it every four years. It rotates. So when it's NBC's year, you know, uh, Jimmy did it, then I did it, then SNL did it. You know, Chost and Shay did it, and so it's sort of like the network comes to you and says, "Hey, we'd love you to do." Do you this. think the network appreciates you? You know, now that I'm thinking about it, how many years now have you been at NBC? I've been at NBC since August of 2001. Do you feel like you're an NBC guy? Like, like I do. I mean, I guess no, I seriously. Do. do you feel like you're part of the team? I've uh, part of the team. I, I guess I do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the weird thing is when you are. Um, 
you know, the shows that were on NBC when I started, none of them are on anymore, right? right? Like, so it's not like the only thing that's like still there is like us. And I mean, the people that are still there when I started, like me and Jimmy and Lauren, you know? That's it. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I got to ask you one last thing. I, I almost slipped my mind. And this was probably the most important thing that I needed to ask you. Are you involved in trying to reboot the Munsters? No, we were, but then it didn't, it didn't work. It can't work, right? It didn't, yeah. So many I mean, people uh, have tried. Yeah. Um, what do you mean? How far did you get with it? A really good script, uh, but it was, you know, and, and NBC owns the the rights to it, uh, so that was... I, I can't play Herman Munster? You don't think I can pull that off? Well, I mean, I think if we had you attached, it would still be moving forward. <laughs> yeah. <Did> you, <laughs> you know why it can't work? Those two guys, Grandpa Al Lewis, yeah. and the guy who played, uh, of course, Fred, Fred Gwynn, yeah. they were just too fucking good. Yeah. They, had, they, they got their chops on Car 54, then they went right into the Munsters, and they killed it. I, without those two guys... I don't know, but maybe who were you thinking of? How who were you thinking we of? We didn't really get that far down the line. Who so. could be monster? Yeah, it was. Uh, I would it, love you if you could do it. Yeah, it didn't quite happen. Well, let's get back into it. All right, we'll go back to the drawing board. Let's get back to the drawing board. Now you're free. You don't have to do stand up every minute. Well, yeah. do you have some suggestions? Do For, you see anyone? Look at Fred. Look no further. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's good casting. How about, how about Chris Catan and Monique? Yeah. I mean, Catan would be a good, like, monster world. Yeah. <laughs> he could be Cousin It. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I could see that. Yeah. But was it going to be a remake of the monsters or were you going to do it in a new take? Modern. It was like a modern take. Where were they going to live? Brooklyn. Oh, in Brooklyn. Yeah. Really? It was sort of the, you know, like, um, uh, gentrified Brooklyn, and and they were those sort of weird people from from Portland, and you Portland. just you kind of couldn't you didn't quite know if they were you know monsters or oh whatnot. I see yeah uh, so you were doing a whole new thing yeah yeah all right I got to think about this look at Seth Meyers show off he's doing it all Seth Meyers what stand-up. are you doing with your yeah, life? What, by the way <laughs> look at this guy Netflix special <laughs> nightly television show. He's got uh, that that whole uh, documentary now thing happening. He's got two kids, wife giving birth in the lobby. Wife's a prosecuting attorney, but model hot, model hot. I mean, this guy's killing it. <laughs> He's great. He's killing it. You're killing it. Yeah. Do you ever pinch yourself and say I'm killing it? I'm. I mean, I I'm, I feel uh, when I think back to like the parts of my career where I was, you know, where we're very turbulent, and uh, it's nice to be in a place of some stability. Yeah. Do you ever think like the president of the United States is going to try to get you? I feel like he's angrier about SNL now than me. You know what I mean? Yeah, but he's angry with you. Yeah. He, he's tweeted about you. He has, but not for a while. I think like he he's angrier at SNL because they. I feel like to to him they it's a betrayal, right? Because he was on it. Yeah. Did you, you were there when he was on it, right? First time, 2004. Uh, did you enjoy working with him? I mean, it was, it was uh, fascinating to be around him. Would he come into writing meetings? No. No? No. It's too big. He was just a, uh, you know, he was everything you would think. He didn't have any sense of humor. Right. But if things worked, he liked them. And by work, did you have to explain to him why they worked? Yeah. And <laughs> even then, it was the, when the audience respond. It was only it's the way it's the same way he is in rallies now. You know, it's right. He he keeps saying build the wall because it worked. Right. So in other words, you write a sketch for him. He doesn't get it. Yeah. But he'd go out and dress, and all of a sudden people are laughing. Yeah. He's like, there's sometimes you have a host where a sketch bombs, but they love it and they right. say, let's do it. It's so great. That it's not him. No, he wants yeah. to win. Yeah. Just it's just how it went. 
But you know what? I still watch that clip when you were, what is that called? The White House Correspondents yeah. Dinner. The Correspondents Dinner. That doesn't really happen much now. And no. Yeah, and no, yeah. not at all. Because, yeah. And I think it's because of you, because when Trump was <laughs> sitting there and you're hammering him, I mean, there was no disguising your distaste for Trump. Right. Your every joke is brutal. Yeah. If you go back and watch that on Google, yeah. which I have several times, he ain't laughing at one of your jokes. No. You're really, you're just in his face. And I do, you know, I, I, I think I always want to like reframe like when that was, you know, that is the middle of him saying Barack Obama was not born here. Right. You know, that was, this was very, uh, very deserved scorn. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was a brutal thing to say the president of the United States wasn't born terrible. here. terrible. I mean, it's the same kind of racism we see uh, every day now. Yeah. And of course, when you hosted it, the the next day they announced Bin Laden's killing or something. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah, and you, you didn't even get your due. I didn't get my due. Yeah, because fucking Bin Laden. He knocked it. you right mm-hmm. off the Bring front page. Of the front <laughs> page. I never all the people. <laughs> and wasn't it that Obama was sitting there while the, the yeah. while he knew yeah. that Bin Laden was All dead? these years being jealous, thinking, you know, yeah. Samberg's going to steal my thunder. <laughs> and then in the end, it was Bin Laden. The last guy I thought was going to steal you my thunder. You get together with Samberg? I do. I see those guys. He all seems the time. like a nice guy. He's the best. He's the sweetest guy in the world. Yeah. Who's your best friend from Saturday Night Live? I mean, Polar, Sandberg. Yeah. Fred and Bill. You guys get together. When I see him, I mean, it's a bummer how many of them live in L.A. Yeah, right. Yeah. Everyone's in L.A. Yeah. L.A.'s burning down, though. I know. It's true. It's good. They'll have to good come time back. to be here. They're going to probably be here pretty <laughs> yeah. soon. What's going to be? Is it going to burn? What's going to happen first? Is uh, L.A. going to burn down or is uh, Manhattan going to be underwater? What do you think? Have you thought of it? I think L.A. is going to burn down. My money's on L.A. Yeah. 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 yeah I mean, because we're seeing it happen <laughs> yeah, yeah. in, in yeah. our lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. It's so weird. It's it's awful. Yeah. Don't you think the environment should be the number one issue this election? I do. I really do. I'm not fucking around here. I mean, we. this is it. And it's not just, you know, uh, as much as we complain about uh, candidates, like I think all the, uh, you know, the news could talk about it more, too. You think you'll endorse someone? I don't think I'll endorse someone. Why? I mean, I think so that, political. I think it'll be very, uh, it'll be very obvious to my audience. I mean, look, I'm, I endorse uh, the idea of a new administration, but I don't, I'm not going to, I, I think don't the see Democrats should go with Biden. You do? I have a real strong feeling. I think Warren or Sanders might lose. Interesting. Uh, I like Buttigieg. I like Cory Booker. But have I people think, come through? Have, come, have you had any candidates on yet? No, I've not purposely not. One. You're not going to. Yeah. No, but I, I actually met um, Amy. Amy Klobuchar. Klobuchar. Yeah, yeah. And I was backstage with her at Bill Marshall. Yeah. And uh, we were talking and stuff. And I just said, hey, you know, my show, it's it just not happening for that. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just not feeling it. But yeah. um, I don't. It's weird. I don't. You know, we have them on. Um, uh, I think people, I think the audience gets excited, but right. it's um, you know, they they have to be so careful, even yeah, more I careful. Know. And it's not for it's not great television. It's it's the op. It's because people get so excited when you bring out somebody. The audience goes, "Oh my god, this person might be president." Right. And then over the course of the few minutes, a lot of them they go, "There's this person not going to be president." Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's over the course of the interview, you feel the audience saying, "Well, it's not going to be them." Yeah, I know. It's so weird with guests, too. Yeah. The audience gets just as excited when a woman comes out in a short dress, too. So they're they're excited about that. Yeah. You know, but uh, I don't know. Do you have a preference personally? I don't have a preference personally yet, but I will say that I am. You know, my politics are are on the more progressive side of things. But of course, I have to say Warren. Well, I mean, I I like uh, I like a lot of of those policies and stuff, but I like Joe Biden too. Yeah, all right. look at you playing it safe. I'm playing it safe now. <laughs> this is weird for the guy who really, you know, we can't even pin him down. I think you should. Let me pin you He's down. He's moving all over. 
<laughs> look at you with a straight face. <laughs> all right, look. Seth Myers. Look at this guy. Like he just was bragging. He's doing it all. The I was not bragging. You were bragging on my back. Yeah. <laughs> I'm busting your balls. Isn't that written there? He told you to say that. Yeah, <laughs> Do you think Al Franken should run again? Should he run again? I think it would be... Uh... Why? I, I would. I think that's the the right outcome. Let the, I, I let the, the voters guy. decide. I love that guy. Yeah, Al Franken. I uh, I, I thought he was the greatest senator. He's a great uh, writer and uh, forget the writing. Yeah. He was he was into it mm -hmm. and he was on the right side of a lot of things. Yeah, and he was he was smart and he studied. What do we think? I look. I think that that is the perfect outcome is for Al to put himself back out there. And I think uh, make, be able to make his case again. I think it'd be great. All right. He was head writer for a while there. He was, yeah. Okay, take it easy. Seth Meyers. Are you going to go get that political? Are you going to run for something no, no, later no, no, on? No, 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 You ought to run. No, no, no. You want to run for it. something? I don't. <laughs> I think the fine. American people are very hard to govern. Seth Meyers' stand-up special, Lobby Baby. This is something I feel you should watch. I watch it. Why shouldn't you? That's Lobby great. Baby is now, no, you did a terrific job. Lobby Baby is now available exclusively on Netflix. You know I'm a fan. Watch Seth host Late Night with Seth Meyers. Weeknights at 12.35 a.m. on NBC. Perfect time to be on television. Right. In my opinion. The hot spot. Well, why not? Yeah. Who needs who needs the pressure of being on in prime time? 100%. I love it. 100%. It's perfect. President Seth Myers. <laughs> he could win. He's not Jewish. All right. Listen, you said it all. Do you have you want to leave us with any thoughts? No, this has been really nice. It's always great. It's to always be here. great seeing you. Yeah. And uh, I hope your cold isn't contagious. If I, I get so a too. cold, I'm blaming you. <laughs> right. I'll all look right. forward to all the right. call. I'll let you go now. But uh, thank you for being here. Seth Myers, everybody. Lobby Baby Netflix. Check it out. We'll be back right after these words. Action. Like Mick Jagger said, I can't get 